The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, disjointed logic, and disturbing political ideas. You have been warned. Saturday, the 9th of July, 2016. It's now 20 years since Pauline Hanson first entered the Australian Parliament with her controversial views. I believe we are in danger of being swamped by Asians. They have their own culture and religion form ghettos and do not assimilate. Well, now she's back. At last Saturday's federal election, Queensland voters propelled her into the Senate. After 18 years of trying and failing to win election at state and federal levels, she looks set to hold a powerful position on the next Senate crossbench. Hanson isn't worried about just Asians these days. She's targeting the supposed threat of Islam. We need to know what's been taught in the Islamic schools and the mosques. And we still have more mosques going up in this country. And there's more much more in the policy agenda of Pauline Hanson's One Nation. It's time to take a closer look. This is the 9pm One Nation Policy Reading. Welcome to this very special, almost literary episode of The Edict. I'm Carol Duncan. Senator Pauline Hanson... Yes, thanks to the adult citizens of Queensland, the red-headed figurehead of Pauline Hanson's One Nation has been propelled into the Senate. The media has generally been treating Pauline Hanson as an amusing sideshow, but perhaps that's a mistake. Hanson is assertive and she'll push her party's agenda in the Senate. Perhaps we need to take a closer look. Tonight, we go inside the mind of Pauline Hanson's One Nation, as Stilgarian reads their entire policy agenda, live, every single word. You'll also hear some of Pauline Hanson's political wisdom in her own words. We'll be here for at least two hours, probably longer, so feel free to grab the policies from the One Nation website and read along at home, or tweet along using the hashtag 9pmlive. You might also need a drink, or two, and what better choice than a bottle of Queensland's own Bundaberg rum? Still, Garyan has already done exactly that. Hold on, this could be a bumpy ride. The Hanson view, as outlined in her maiden speech to Parliament, is that Australia is being swamped by Asians and that Aborigines have too many privileges. And apparently that's a view shared by millions, though no one quite suspected the extent of support or that someone like a Pauline Hanson could attract it. I and most Australians want our immigration policy, policy radically reviewed and that of multiculturalism abolished. I believe we are in danger of being swamped by Asians. Between 1984 and 1995, 40% of all migrants into this country were of Asian origin. They have their own culture and religion, form ghettos and do not assimilate. Of course I will be called racist, but if I can invite who I want into my home, then I should have the right to have a say in who comes into my country. 
Uh, Pauline, I, I definitely uh, believe that you are getting the message across. Hey, listen, I'm one proud Australian. I really am. It's the people have got out there and their voice and their opinion, and I think it's great. Australia has opened its doors and hearts to many migrants from nearly every country around the world. Most have embraced the Australian way of life, culture and laws. Some are still trying to assimilate. Some never will or want to. The majority of Australians live by Christian values, but Australia has had an open-door policy to other religions practising their faith. Australia has opened up to letting Muslims migrate from their war and torn countries, but with their ever-increasing numbers, the cultural and religious differences have become more evident, including the impact it has had on Australian society. Of different races and religions, but in recent years, Australia has experienced more social incohesion than ever before with migrants who are opposed to our way of life. The Cronulla riots was an unprecedented cultural clash, and I believe not the last we will see in our country. Terrorism has impacted on the world and closer to home on our streets. 28 policies to get through this evening. There's only one way to cope with this. Uh, That's rather a lot. But there are rather a lot of policies on the One Nation political agenda. Illegal immigration and people smugglers. Illegal migrants, whether they arrive by boat or air, have not adhered to our immigration criteria and are choosing where they want to live by gaining entry illegally and claiming refugee status. What we have here is someone coming into your home telling you they like your house better than theirs and they are going to live with you. You have to feed, clothe, care and educate them while looking after their needs. Your children now have to share a room and you have to make the dollars stretch further to provide for them. They don't have to work. You are providing for them. If you don't give them what they want, they will complain and you will be forced to answer why you are so humane not to have them live in your home that you worked hard for. A clear message from Australians was stop the boats. When we were being swamped by illegal aliens coming into Australia, our former Prime Minister and the man responsible for the influx of illegal boats, Kevin Rudd, came out in unison with his Labour puppeteers, Bob Carr and Tony Burke, espousing that they are economic refugees and have no right to come to Australia after all these years and 46,000 boat people later. What a backflip. And do they think Australians are that gullible? Illegal boat people. Facts. On average, 100 people a day arrive. They arrive in Indonesia with a passport to enter the country. 80% plus destroy passports and identification papers before entering Australia. The boat people, as reported, pay up to $20,000 to people smugglers for passage to Australia. 2013 to 2014, illegal boat people will cost Australian taxpayers $2.8 billion if lucky. To date, estimated cost 
$12 billion plus. Supply of cigarettes to illegal boat people, $1.5 million a year. Supply of telephone and charges, $5 million to the taxpayer. Private contractors are paid $40,000 per illegal boat to be destroyed. The government has put $4 million in the budget for this due to the number of boats. This means a budget blowout. Many Australians wait for health care while illegals get preferential treatment. One nation is of the opinion that any leader who cannot control its borders should not hold the position as Prime Minister. Australians must feel secure and in control. Clearly, we are not. Our problem clearly lies with Indonesia. The illegal boats leave from Indonesian waters. People smugglers are known to the Indonesian police. The country is corrupt with officials and police who partake in the human trafficking, yet they refuse to assist. Just recently, the Indonesian court refused to extradite one of the people smugglers to Australia and set him free. In 2015-16, Australia's assistance to Indonesia is $350 million. Close cooperation between Australia and Indonesia on security matters is underpinned by the Lombok Treaty of 2006, which provides a treaty-level framework for addressing traditional and non-traditional security challenges. Australia and Indonesia signed a defence cooperation agreement in September 2012 and have agreed to increase defence collaboration. Part of that treaty states... The parties, consistent with their respective domestic laws and international obligations, shall not in any manner support or participate in the activities by any person or entity which constitutes a threat to the stability, sovereignty or territorial integrity of the other party, including by those who seek to use its territory for encouraging or committing such activities, including separatism in the territory of the other party. When we don't know the true identity of refugees, is this not a threat to our stability and possible terrorism? Australia has to take a strong stance and show some leadership. When our soldiers pull out of Afghanistan at the end of this year, what? We will see a flood of refugees never seen before if we do not pull out a put out a clear message that if they come via people smugglers, they are not welcome. Has the government assured us that all who come to Australia are clear of any health risks? The overview below is the government's health requirement of immigrants and refugees when applying for immigration to Australia. The purpose of the health requirement is to protect the Australian community from public health and safety risks, in particular active tuberculosis, uh, to contain public expenditure on health and community services, including social security benefits, allowances and pensions, and safeguard the access of Australian citizens and permanent residents to health care and community services in short supply. That's the purpose. Most visa applicants, and in some circumstances their dependents, whether they are migrating to Australia or not, are required to meet the health requirement. To meet the health requirement, you must be free from diseases or condition that is consistent, uh, considered to be a threat to public health or a danger to the Australian community, likely to result in significant health care and community service costs to the Australian community, or likely to require health care and community services that would prejudice the access of Australian citizens and permanent residents to those services in short supply. 
In 2006, when Andrew Robb, spokesperson on immigration matters, and Tony Abbott, then health minister for the Liberal Party, were questioned on the matter of migrants coming to Australia carrying diseases such as AIDS and TB, they had to confirm it was the case. One Nation Solutions... First, it has been reported that 80% plus arriving by boat or plane don't carry any forms of identification. Some are given false passports to Indonesia, which are taken back once they're in the country to use for the next lot, and others destroy their documentation. If you are genuine, why not prove your identity? Anyone arriving without paperwork immediately denied entry and sent back to their last known port before arrival or their homeland. Should have been a verb in that sentence. People smuggling to carry a minimum jail sentence of 10 years to be served in an Indonesian prison. The crew on the boats to do a two-year jail term in Indonesia after negotiating an agreement. For those who are genuine refugees and not here for economic reasons are to be granted a temporary protection visa to to be reviewed every two years. Fuck, this grammar is awful. Depending on individual circumstances to be sent back to their homeland if no longer a threat to their safety. Family reunion will not be available to those granted refugee status until such time that they may be granted permission to apply for Australian citizenship. This would not be available for a period of no less than five years from the date of acceptance as a refugee. Australians must be assured of good character, loyalty to Australia, and not an ongoing burden to the taxpayer living on welfare. All refugees must clear a health check as required by law. Terminate being a signatory to the outdated 1951 UNHCR Refugee Convention. We have heard that criminals and people smugglers themselves have been granted refugee status in Australia. If television programmers can discover the truth, I don't have much faith in our immigration system or the past Labor government. One nation has no confidence in this government and calls for all those granted residency under the Labor government to be reviewed. If any Australian disagrees with our stance on refugees, please send us your name and address. There are 100,000 plus homeless Australians who would love a warm bed and someone to put a roof over their heads. Charity begins at home. Immigration. One Nation believes in a balanced, zero-net immigration, subject to review depending on economic conditions, and that coming to Australia is a privilege that must not be undervalued. We reserve the right of discretion in protecting our economy, social cohesion and cultural heritage. This does not mean zero immigration. Zero-net means we replace the numbers that leave Australia with new migrants. The justification for our policy of not exceeding zero net immigration is that environmentally, Australia is near her carrying capacity. Economically, immigration is unsustainable and socially, if continued as it is, will lead to a further ethnically divided Australia. Current policy is encouraging large numbers of illegal migrants and it is time Australia, while recognising the contribution made by migrants in the past, sends to the world the message that mass immigration has passed its use-by date. It is now crucial 
to develop a population policy for Australia in order to decide immigration numbers rationally and in the best interests of Australians. The immigration policies of the major political parties to this day have proven disastrous, proceeding as if there were no balance of payments problem, no foreign debt and no geographical or environmental constraints to population growth. If continued, such an immigration policy will irreversibly alter the, alter the natural, natural and human uh, urban environments. Let's do that sentence again because it's a pretty appalling sentence. If continued... Such immigration policy will irreversibly alter the natural and urban environment, economic viability as well as undermining the maintenance and further development of a unique and valuable Australian identity and culture. In Paul Sheehan's book, or if you prefer, in Paul Sheehan's book, Among the Barbarians, the updated election edition, chapter 7, The Billion Dollar Bluff, reads... On 30th of August 1997, the President of the Australian Labor Party, Barry Jones, said the unsayable. In a speech to the annual conference of Australians for an ecologically sustainable future population, the former Federal Minister gave some frank views on the subject of immigration and population policy. Midway through his speech, Jones entered Labor's no-go zone. The handling of it by the previous Labor government was, I have to say, less than distinguished, partly because I think immigration was seen as very important, a tremendously important element in building up a long-term political constituency. There was that sense you might get the Greek vote locked up or the Liberals might get the Chinese vote locked up. As a result, the idea of bringing groups of people to fulfil family reunion requirements and so on was seen as being a real advantage to the party in power at the time. Labor frontbencher Laurie Ferguson said, the two big negatives for the Keating government were the question of migration and multiculturalism. Unfortunately, the party became convinced that dancing polkas... What? Who wrote this? Dancing polkas, I see, and going to the mosque mean that some imam can deliver 20,000 votes to you in the next morning. Ah. Another Labour frontbencher... This stuff is worth thinking about, isn't it? Another Labour frontbencher, Mark Latham... going to all the uh, experts here, in his 1998 book, Civilising Global Capital, described major problems with Labor's immigration policy. Australia's recent experience, particularly through the large family reunion programs in the late 1980s, has shown that poorly skilled migrants are unlikely to avoid the problems of economic exclusion and welfare dependency. For instance, five years after their arrival in Australia in 1989-1990, one in four of the 58,000 settler migrants registered for unemployment benefits. The level of welfare dependency has in some cases by place of origin been even higher, such as a 71% unemployment rate over the five-year period for arrivals from Lebanon and 79% from Turkey. Hmm. Have both Labour and the Liberal Party introduced immigration policies based on the vote, knowing that they were not in Australia's best interests? According to Barry Jones, they have. One Nation notes that immigration throughout the last century has been of great benefit to 
Australia. However, it must be recognised that inappropriately high levels of immigration can be detrimental to employment, to national infrastructure, services and the environment. Big businesses and multinational corporations want increased immigration because they sell more product. Australians will only see longer queues for hospitals, nursing homes, schools and jobs. An immediate review of our immigration policy is necessary until the economy has recovered and to protect our culture and heritage and promote assimilation, nationalism, locality and pride in being Australian. The migration program for 2014-15 is 190,000. The government fact sheet website is available. Check it out for further information. Australian citizenship is a valued privilege. One Nation would support a five-year wait for new... That just repeats some bits and pieces. These are very repetitive. (sighs) To qualify, these immigrants would have to have an understanding of the Australian Constitution and laws, pass a test in English and swear allegiance to the Commonwealth of Australia under our flag. For people to assimilate into a society, they must be able to communicate. Therefore, English is a requirement for citizenship. Germany, Japan and other countries around the world ask those wishing to become citizens of their nations to speak their language. Social security would not be available to new migrants for a period of five years. Before arrival, migrants would be required to pass a complete and thorough health check before uh, acceptance is granted, including checks for AIDS hepatitis and TB. Australians have never been asked how they wish to see their country. The Labor Party's white paper on the Asian century uh, century is an informative document that we highly recommend everyone read. It outlines their plans for the future. Here's an excerpt from the paper and their vision for for Australia. Again, have we been asked? Pathways to us, pathways in Australia. Continue to reduce Australian tariffs through scheduled reductions and negotiated commitments as part of the World Trade Organisation and other trade agreements. Work to reduce unnecessary impediments in Australia's domestic regulations to cross-border business activity, investment and skilled labour mobility, having regard to the arrangements in place in other countries in the region. Work with businesses and with partner governments in the region to improve Australia's border management framework, adopting an intelligence-led risk-based approach that manages threats effectively while reducing impediments to legitimate trade and travel. Make it easier for low-risk visitors to come to Australia through longer period and multiple entry visas and greater use of online visas. To encourage more tourists from emerging markets, from China in particular, the government will build on the trial of streamlined visa processes for independent Chinese tourists and continue to promote Australia as a preferred destination across the region. Continue to welcome foreign investment in Australia and promote Australia as an investment destination, including by engaging major investors and investing nations. And finally, continue to enhance the transparency of Australia's foreign investment screening processes. Labor's national objective is that the Australian economy will be more open and integrated with Asia through efforts to improve our domestic arrangements, the flow of goods, services, capital, ideas and people, we emphasise, will be easier. 
One nation believes that immigration should be open for debate and a population policy in place. Australians have the right to a coherent society and deny immigration to anyone who does not abide by our law, culture, democracy, flag or Christian way of life. Australians have been tolerant and welcome new migrants coming to find a new homeland. We don't want or need migrants bringing their problems, laws, culture and opposing religious beliefs on us.
Multiculturalism has failed everywhere. It is negative and divisive, a weight that is drowning our once safe and cohesive society. One Nation will abolish multiculturalism and the Racial Discrimination Act and promote assimilation, nationalism, loyalty and pride in being an Australian. As a government policy, multiracialism encompassed measures to destroy the Australian culture. It played a large part in migrant selection in an attempt to prevent them from assimilating into Australian society. Exactly what was done and admitted to England. One Nation intends to abolish multiculturalism and the Racial Discrimination Act of 1975 based on the United Nations Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination as it is unconstitutional. We would replace it with a policy of assimilation in which it will be made clear to all those applying to migrate to Australia that coming to Australia is a privilege that gives them an overriding, unifying commitment to Australia to its past current interests and future, first and foremost. They must accept the basic structures and principles of Australian heritage, society and culture, the constitution and the rule of law, tolerance and equality, parliamentary democracy, freedom of speech and religion, and English as the national language. Uh, whilst they may come from other countries and cultures, loyalty to Australia and Australian nationalism must come first. Discretion? This means freedom of judgment or choice to choose unwisely. With the current terrorist problems, this is essential. It is not intended to stereotype any group. Our policy in this regard has nothing to do with race. It is all about protecting our country from a real threat. One nation will withdraw from the UN treaties on migration and refugees that conflict with our sovereign rights and laws. One nation proposes that immigration should become the Department of Customs and Immigration, responsible for protection of our coastline from illegal boat people, invaders, goods such as drugs, firearms and terrorists. Also control and monitoring of uh, entry and leaving of people and goods, issue of passports, visas and other documents. But New Zealand citizenship, One Nation, believes that the current unreasonable and discriminatory permanent blanket bans on access to Australian citizenship and government services for many New Zealanders should be replaced with reasonable and proportionate restrictions, such as waiting periods. Australia's current laws, introduced in 2001, put a stop to many New Zealanders applying for citizenship and accessing Social Security, regardless of their length of residence. We have opened our borders and our hearts to people from all over the world, offering them the opportunity be to become Australian citizens, but not to our closest neighbours, our allies and our Anzac mates. 
This was not a bipartisan agreement between Australia and New Zealand. The, tra- the change has left many New-, New Zealanders... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to start that paragraph again. This was not a bipartisan agreement between Australia and New Zealand. The change has left many New Zealanders in Australia stuck between a rock and a hard place. They are working, paying their taxes and raising families, but when hardship hits, they cannot apply to receive help from our social security systems. Many New Zealanders are then left homeless, destitute and desperate. We believe Australians would open their hearts to our neighbours. Therefore, we are calling on the government to change the current laws. One Nation proposes to amend citizenship and social security laws to include all New Zealand citizens who arrived in Australia as a child or has continually resided in New Zealand for a total of five years as a New Zealand citizen. This would make such people eligible for social security after the usual two-year waiting period and eligible for citizenship after four years' residence in Australia, which are the same conditions that apply for all other permanent migrants. All of them. Four years. This would restore Russell Crowe's eligibility for Australian citizenship. If Russell Crowe is good enough to be put on our Australian stamp as an Australian legend, then why deny him the right to become an Australian citizen if he so wishes? The 9pm Edict is an audience-supported podcast. To make a financial contribution to help keep this podcast running, please go to stilgarian.com forward slash tip. In 1992, Paul Keating signed Australia up for Agenda 21, a United Nations document and not a conspiracy theory as the media and politicians would have you believe. For those who are not aware of Agenda 21, as known as Sustainable Development, it's about global land use, global education, global population control, and stripping people of property rights. Water. We propose the establishment of a federal-funded, no-catches, no-blackmail water management plan Australia-wide to ensure adequate storage and supply of water and prevent its degradation. We do not believe in the commercialisation of a God-given resource resulting in the exploitation of Australians for the profit of a few. As an example of projects supported by One Nation is the Bradfield Scheme. John Bradfield, renowned engineer and designer of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, conceived back in 1929 to develop Australia's fertile but arid hinterland into a vegetable garden of Eden by the miracle of water conservation and irrigation. The scheme proposed diverting water from the Tully, Burdekin and Herbert rivers in North Queensland inland to the Flinders and Thompson rivers with residual flowing into Lake Eyre. We also support the Victorian Pratt Pipeline Irrigation Project. Quote, the ownership of water is not confined to the value of water. The transfer of the use of water is the transfer of the commercial value of the product that results from that water. Therefore, the ownership of our water governs, governs the economic viability of our economy. Water policy. One nation believes water is so important that it should have its own portfolio. As one of the world's driest continents, Australia must use its water resources wisely. The main problem is more one of 
unequal distribution and storage rather than shortage. We propose water management practices to provide adequate storage, reuse of suitably treated recycled water and the piping of it inland for use by councils and rural land for irrigation. I, I like the idea that one nation policies, like there, there are sentences that just don't have any verbs in them. It's, it's innovative. We do not believe in the privatisation of water. Environmental fund, fundamentalism is driving policies that are eroding our property rights through greatly increasing the regulatory burden, water charges and coag, and by denying us our constitutional rights. We oppose Agenda 21 and other illegal UN treaties, including COAG and UN World Bank Water Resources Management Agreements that involve the charging of farmers for rainwater that falls and is stored on their properties. Section 100 of the Constitution, quote, The Commonwealth shall not by any law or regulation of trade, commerce, abridge the right of a state or of its residents therein to the reasonable use of the waters of rivers for conservation or irrigation. We oppose coag management of water resources as the focus is not on improving water supplies but appears to be on corporatization of the catchment areas, then to privatise them with government departments making inappropriate and arbitrary regulations, imposing them at will, ignoring court decisions, moving past the normal restraints of parliamentary procedure and constitutional boundaries, and finally compromising property rights, we need to consider the bigger picture. Water is life. Nothing can live without it. People, animals, vegetation, and such things as vehicles, electricity generation, factory production, etc., Obviously, control of water is control of life and society. Allocating, rationing and charging for water gives the state limitless power. Privatised water in the hands of multinationals would be worse. As soon as a resource such as water is taken away from general usage and turned into a commodity where the shareholder profit becomes more important than community individual benefit, the field is open for limitless corruption. Any claim by the state to, quote, own, unquote, all the water is illegitimate and alien to our way of life. Obviously, when scarce, water must be shared, but this can be done without making it more expensive or taking away rights that have existed for hundreds of years. There must obviously be limits to vast irrigation schemes that monopolise water to the extent that smaller users are deprived. Riparian issues have an ancient history and have never before involved the claim that the state owns all water. Environmental arguments have their place, but they too are now used to push control agendas, riding rough shop as opposed to rough shod over individual and property rights. The result is productive citizens with their hands tied subject to the whims of vast impersonal departments with personnel who no longer appear to see themselves as public servants and appear accountable to no one. If we are to rescue and continue with a viable system of family farming, we must re-establish a number of principles. These are the right or the rights, rather, that go with freehold title, including the exclusion of entry without a magistrate's warrant, the right to build dams and catch water without license or regulation on family properties, 
brackets, not applicable to rivers and creeks, the right of ownership to everything that is produced on the farm without government interference, and the right to make any and all decisions on the use of private property that does not harm others. Agenda 21-2030. Oh dear, there's a lot of repetition in this one. Yeah, this is a cold reading by and large. In 1992, Paul Keating signed Agenda 21 on behalf of Australia. 178 nations around the world signed Agenda 21. What is Agenda 21, you may ask? You may ask? You may, you may ask. In fact, ask it now. What is Agenda 21? In short, it's about global land use, global education, and global population control and reduction. Morris Strong, Secretary-General of the UN's Earth Summit in 1992, said, quote, current lifestyles and consumption patterns of the affluent middle class involving high meat intake, use of fossil fuels, appliances, home and work air conditioning, and suburban housing are not sustainable. Imagine if the government was purposely rationing the use of electricity, water, petrol and natural gas, and that the enactment of these policies came from your local government's committee or Department of Sustainability. These local government or council sustainability... Excuse me, I need a drink. These local government council sustainability boards will decide how much energy, water and other natural resources your home is allowed to use, limiting your ability to wash your dishes, take a shower or bath, flush the toilet and drink a glass of water, regardless of the size of your household or how many children you have. Effective execution of Agenda 21 will require a profound reorientation of all human society, unlike anything the world has ever experienced, a major shift in the priorities of both governments and individuals, and an unprecedented redeployment of human and financial resources. This shift will demand that a concern for the environmental consequences of every human action be integrated into individual and collective decision-making at every level. Agenda 21 leaves no stone unturned and no person outside of its reach in order to accomplish its goals of sustainable development and to make you into a so-called steward of the environment agenda 21 seeks to control you and your life once implemented agenda 21 will affect you in the following ways eliminate your right to private ownership brackets property rights forbidding you from entering woodland and wetland areas, punishing you with higher prices at the store, restricting your civil liberties, restricting the number of children you can have, restricting the amount of waste or trash you could dispose of, restricting the amount of water you can use, telling you how much to harvest on your farm or land, forcing you to participate in community projects. Another arm of Agenda 21 is to privatise water. A farmer can only capture 10% of the water in his dam. The rest must flow into the rivers and creeks 
or be taxed. South Australia is just starting to feel the effects of Agenda 21, with the state government trialling low-flow bypasses on dams at an estimated cost of up to $30,000. This is to stop water running into dams. A water licence must be bought for irrigation from your own dam, and uh, also a right to take water levy, whether you use it or not, has been introduced by the government and supported by the opposition. Let me draw Australia's attention to Section 21, uh, Section 100, rather, of the Australian Constitution, which we've already done. This decision uh, about Agenda 21 and uh, presumably Section 100 of the Constitution has not been challenged in the High Court But we believe that Australians under Section 100 of the Constitution have the right to water. John Howard and his Liberal government separated land and water in 2004 to make it a saleable commodity. This was not done for any reason other than for profit and the grubby business of multinationals and big businesses to make money. Agenda 21 also calls for the fencing of rivers and creeks at the expense of the landowner, to stop livestock from accessing water, supposedly for environmental purposes. Water is our lifeblood. Without it, we will die. No government or individual has the right to own or control another person's use of water. In a drought-stricken country such as Australia, we should be assisting farmers to put more dams on their properties, not shut them down with fines, taxes and metres, or limiting the size of a dam if it does not impact upon other properties and their water supplies. It's the man on the land that is being targeted today. Tomorrow it will be the cities that will be taxed for the rainwater they capture in their tanks. Other states will experience Agenda 21. It is only a matter of time. Always be wary when you hear the word sustainable development. This is what the... That's actually what it says. The Labor government signed it and the Liberals and Nationals supported it. In September 2015, the United Nations held a Sustainable Development Summit where they officially released Agenda 2030 following Agenda 21. Is that how that works? These agendas are designed to control people's rights, water, population, health, education, sovereignty, ownership of land, and how we choose to live our lives. One Nation will further research, inform Australians, and repeal these agendas if not in Australia's best interests. Some states in America are repealing Agenda 21 due to the desolation it has caused. Affordable energy, climate science, what is the climate change agenda? Climate change has and will continue to be used as a political agenda by politicians and self-interest groups or individuals for their own gain. We cannot allow scaremongering by people such as Tim Flannery who make outlandish statements and are not held accountable. There's an irony there. Climate change should not be about making money for a lot of people and giving scientists money. Let's know the facts and scientific evidence to make a well-informed decision as how to best look after our environment. Paying a carbon tax or an emissions trading scheme is not going to wave a magic wand and stop nature changing the climate change. 
It will only make it harder for Australian families and businesses to make ends meet. We can address real environmental issues with legislation. Hitting struggling families and businesses with another tax has been designed to make some people a lot of money. Don't allow yourself to be misled. Our solution is comprehensive because core problems cannot be solved by ad hoc one-off party policies. That failed Liberal National Labor, Liberal National Labor approach combined with Green's grandstanding is causing Australia's deterioration. To tap into Australia's wealth and to share it with all Australians, we need to get to the root causes, the core problems, and address them comprehensively. We need to involve people across Australia in developing solutions to restore Australia's productive heartland and wealth for the benefit of all. Benefit of all. Benefit of all. Benefit of all. Pressure from a social media and mainstream media campaign combined with backroom party power broker deals removed Tony Abbott as Liberal leader and now under the leadership of Malcolm Turnbull, Australians may go back to being under a carbon dioxide trading scheme. Through One Nation, Australians can now have a say in politics. Send a signal to Greg Hunt, Malcolm Turnbull, voiceless Liberal MPs, the ALP and Greens. Vote for Pauline Hanson's One Nation and join us to bring back Australia. To be productive and wealthy, an organisation or nation needs creativity. Australia has this in abundance. Human skills, a skilled workforce, low-cost, reliable, abundant energy and independence of energy supply – Minerals for metals, climate to grow food every day of the year across many climates from tropical to temperate, freedom to be creative, governance and sensible laws that protect hard work and support creative productive ideas, and care and compassion for those who need support. Australia has all of these, all of these in abundance. We can bring these back and enable people to find happiness and security. Instead of so-called alternative energies that are really alternatives to energy, we will work to reduce energy prices and bring back dependability and reliability through environmentally responsible energies. Low-cost energy enables efficiency and productivity that generates wealth to protect the environment. Our primary producers produce plant byproducts, which are currently wasted. Where conditions and economics allow, let's enable them to make biofuels. Australians are at our best in sporting conquests and recovering from natural disasters. Mateship shines. The greater the challenge, the better Australians perform. Our solutions... One, one nation will oppose all taxes levied on carbon dioxide, be it a flat carbon tax or a floating emissions trading scheme, and for the removal of all associated legislations. Two, cancel all agreements obliging Australia to pay for foreign climate action and payment to the United Nations and foreign institutions. Restore farming, fishing and manufacturing industries to again become competitive and thrive. Cut green tape. Three, environmental impacts to be assessed on the use of empirical scientific evidence, not activists or non-government organisations pushing ideology and political agendas.
Four, abolish the renewable energy target and support practical cost-effective research into energy efficiency, reliability and dependability. Five, remove all subsidies and financial advantages offered to the renewable energy industry and make them compete on an even playing field with other energy sources. Six, uh, there's 14 of these, by the way. Six, support reliable low-cost power generation. This has previously been Australia's strongest competitive advantage. Seven, hold a royal commission or similar into the corruption of climate science and identify whether any individual or organisation has misled government to affect climate and energy policy. Eight, establish an independent Australian science body replacing the UN IPCC to report on climate science. It will be the beyond politicised... What? More grammatical mistakes here. I'll I'll try and go up fixing it as I go. It will be beyond politicisation and be the basis of Australian policy on insurance and response to weather events. Nine, review the Bureau of Meteorology to ensure independence and accountability for weather and climate records, including public justification of persistent upward adjustment to the historical climate records. Ten, Review the CSIRO to ensure independence and accountability and determine whether funding has influenced the direction and results of CSIRO's positions on the climate claims. Funding from the UN in particular will be probed for an agenda not consistent for what is best for Australians. 11. Ensure that all climate energy and environmental policy decisions requiring a scientific component are based on the scientific method and empirical evidence. All decisions will be based on an economic, social and environmental assessment with environmental issues not automatically put ahead of humanity or economic realities. Twelve, remove from the education system the teaching of a biased and one-sided view of climate science. Teaching of climate science will begin in secondary school and will be based on the scientific method of scepticism until proven. 13. Support renewable energy that does not impact on the environment and encourage research and the ability to store energy at affordable cost to households and businesses. 14. And this is my favourite. The wind industry must compensate all residents who have been proven to suffer from wind turbine syndrome and any residents where the presence of wind turbines have negatively affected the price of their home. Australians have conquered far greater challenges. We can restore our constitutional federation. We will be a country that relies on imported produce, a country which will be forced to eat contaminated and unregulated food, as we have just seen with imported frozen berries containing hepatitis A, resulting in over 20 Australians being infected. We must reclaim support for our farmers. 
Do you want China, America, India, Japan, or any other nation or its nationals buying and working our land? Primary industries. One nation will protect our primary industries from deregulation and withdraw from international treaties which put us at any disadvantage. Our aims include... Oh, 18 of these, and there's a lot of other stuff too. One, stringent quarantine and customs requirements, as opposed to what we have now, presumably. Two, tariff protections in line with the reciprocal trading partners to offset foreign subsidised competition. Three, re-regulate to create efficient marketing agencies to maximise returns. Four, encourage farm forestry. Five, research into byproducts utilisation and value-adding. Six, Australian products promotion and content identification of all products. Seven, urgent measures and financial support to reverse salinity. Eight, better infrastructure. Nine, environmental conservation instead of preservation. Think about that one for a while. Ten, population decentralisation. Eleven, Government bank with local branches. 12. No privatisation of water. 13. No majority foreign ownership of Australian land or resources. 14. Curb investment speculations which drive up the price of land. 15. Public assets are not for sale. 16. Regulated and uniform fuel prices to reduce costs. 17. Promote tourism. 18. No genetically modified organism. We would only allow for genetic modification done in the traditional way. Australia's rural and regional communities are key contributors to our economy. We cannot afford losing their inputs and their skills. Without them, we would not stand a chance in times of crisis. One Nation firmly believes that a thriving rural and regional sector is vital for Australia's economy and future. One Nation will re-establish marketing boards to ensure a fair price for rural commodities. Importation of food products will be restricted by tariffs to protect local industry. Australia is capable of producing any agricultural product needed for use or consumption by its people. The livelihood of efficient traditional producers must not be destroyed by low-priced imports. Tariffs or adjustments must be provided to protect endangered agricultural products. The USA, Japan and EEC will not stop protecting their farmers in order to buy Australian farm products. We must do the same. Imports that endanger the health of our primary industries must be excluded. Our ocean fisheries must be protected to exclude poachers and prevent overfishing. One Nation will ensure stringent quarantine inspection and treatment procedures to prevent the import of pests, diseases, noxious weeds and contaminated food. All produce from contaminated countries shall be prohibited entry. Under One Nation... If a country's produce has contamination or disease, it simply won't be permitted in Australia, no matter how safe it is claimed to be. One Nation supports the Australian farmers who worked hard over many years to develop their properties and improve farming practices, becoming the most efficient producers in the world. 
We will encourage them to continue and improve these long-term sustainable productive levels and I will oppose any UN treaties aimed at destroying them. One Nation supports the Australian farmers. Many true Australians, tracing back to our early settlers, have worked hard over generations to establish and develop their properties and improve farming practices and despite the odds, have become, apparently we need to say it again, the most efficient producers in the world. One Nation knows that our primary industries are a national asset and critical to our security. What? I'm going to read that sentence again. (laughs) One Nation knows that our primary industries are a national asset and critical to our security. One Nation will support continued growth in our primary industries, encouraging environmental-friendly, economical, sustainable production and ethical resource use. In their pursuit of globalism, they have managed... Hang on, let me just... Who's they at this point? Sorry, I I just dropped all the pages of the script on the floor and I hope they haven't got out of order although in a very real sense I don't think it matters they (laughs) yes there's no indication who they are in their pursuit of globalism they have managed to destroy our rural industries to the extent that we now have to import food that we once produced here this we will reverse this there is only one nation left to oppose them a party that is not funded by and subservient to the multinationals, but instead represents the farmers and the hopes of the Australian people. If you can figure out whether... uh, No, why bother? Manufacturing. This will be good. One nation opposes globalism. I hadn't guessed. And will withdraw from international treaties that harm our manufacturing industry. Our policy is import replacement. We would restructure tax, banking, finance and training and reduce energy costs and get rid of the carbon tax to allow our industry to compete on a true level playing field. One Nation is strongly opposed to the, quote, free trade economic policies, which over the years have led to the gradual destruction of the Australian manufacturing industry, with the resulting loss of hundreds of thousands of Australian jobs, there is an increasing dependence on the import of foreign goods to satisfy basic local demands and a deteriorating trade balance creating a massive and rapidly growing foreign debt. The demise of our manufacturing industry has accentuated serious unemployment and financial problems, greatly due to the pursuance of globalism. We once manufactured 90% of our daily requirements and exported worldwide our acclaimed products. The mad continuation of these, quote, globalist policies has now driven us to the brink of financial, economic, social and moral disaster. Our nation has been subdued from a wealthy and self-sufficient one to that of a third world state, depending on the International Monetary Fund and loans to pay our debts, thereby losing our economic and political sovereignty. 
How could Australia start rebuilding manufacturing? Well, we must regain control of our energy resources and ensure that we have the use of our abundant supplies at prices not inflated with taxes and profiteering. We must buy back our electricity from the foreigners it was sold to without our permission and stop any further bargain basement sales. The carbon tax is the nail in the coffin for many iconic Australian industries and manufacturing closing down or going overseas because of escalating energy costs. Low taxes and energy costs and cheap finance provides the opportunity for our manufacturing industry to prosper once more and with it job opportunities, export replacement and reduction in our trade imbalance and debt. One Nation believes that the federal government's entering into various trade agreements, such as the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, GATT, and the Lima Agreement, which force local Australian industries and farmers to compete with imports from cheaper manufacturing and producing countries, should be abandoned. Since Australia's living standards, wage rates and other production costs are comparatively high, Australians must prepare to take either a cut in those things or change government. This could only have one effect, to wipe out the Australian manufacturing and farming industry. That is precisely what these policies have achieved. Globalisation. This loss of our manufacturing industry is reducing us to a third world economy. I think, didn't we just say that? Resulting in loss of jobs and opportunity for our... Yeah, yeah, we did just say that. One Nation has warned Australia since 1997 of globalisation. These fears have sadly been realised with the announcement by the foreign-owned Pacific brands who are allowed by blind and inept government policy to require, acquire 18 of Australia's most iconic manufacturing brands as follows and all without any government opposition. They are Burley, Bonds, Clark's, Children's Shoe Places, Dunlop, Everlast, Grosby, Holeproof, Hush Puppies, King G, Mooks, Mossimo, Sheridan, Slashinger, Sleepmaker, Tontine, and Yakka. In June 2013, Simplot, a food manufacturing plant in Bathurst and Devonport, are finding it hard to survive. Their energy costs have risen 80%, and SPC Ardmona said if they did not receive emergency safeguards, more of its jobs would go because of rising energy costs and finding it hard to compete with home brand imports. Other companies moving or moved overseas include the Windsor Farm at Cowra, 70 jobs, Cussons Soaps, 75 jobs, Harley Davidson, 212 jobs. I was under the impression they already were an overseas company, but you know, there you go. Bush, no, Bosch, 380 jobs, Kerry Foods, 100 jobs, Cresta Blinds, 72 jobs. The devastation continues. Heinz food processing operation moving to New Zealand where it's 50% cheaper to do business. And the well-known Australian iconic brands, as opposed to the little-known Australian iconic brands, Rosella closed altogether. And Golden Circle closed, closed its Northgate facility costing 160 jobs. In 2011-12 alone, 7,000 food processing jobs disappeared and 355 businesses closed or moved overseas. Since 2008, 110,000 manufacturing jobs have been lost. Other food processors and manufacturing companies cutting back are Goodman Fielder, who shut 15 factories, 600 jobs gone. 
Pentair in Western Sydney, 160 jobs gone. Amcar, 300 jobs gone. Blue Scope Steel in Victoria, 170 jobs gone. Penrice Soda in South Australia, 60 jobs gone. Norse Hydro Aluminium Smelter in Curry Curry on the Central Coast is closed, 350 jobs. How to assist Australians to buy Australian made? Our labelling laws must be in keeping with the product being sold. What an excellent idea. Strict guidelines as to the origin of the product, where it is made, and identifying whether produced by an Australian company or foreign. Most Australians find it extremely hard to easily find this information when shopping. Apparently they don't know how to turn a jar around. One Nation proposes a colour-coded labelling system to assist people. Food processing industries in Australia or Australian companies overseas must label their products with either a green, gold or red sticker that will indicate green, totally Australian, Australian product, Australian-owned company, Australian-produced. Gold must be either an Australian product or Australian-owned company, Red, totally foreign. Foreign product, foreign company. Strategic plans for the manufacturing industry aims... Yeah, I just... I ain't get a bit fucking thick as this grammar that, that doesn't agree in number. Strategic plans for the manufacturing industry aim to consult businesses, unions, trade experts and the regions that identify future opportunities and the best means of industry meeting those opportunities. Every attempt must be made to promote agricultural-based or related activities that, despite arresting rural exodus and stimulating food production activities, does that say... Oh, besides, I thought I said despite. Let's have another go at that sentence. Every attempt must be made to promote agricultural-based or related industries that, besides arresting rural exodus and stimulating food production activities, provide an incentive for the establishment of further natural resource-based industry. There should be development and strengthening of public, financial and other institutions in order to protect... To, to protect and st- oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, look... Oh. Yeah, okay. Some of this may be familiar to uh, to you. There should be development and strengthening of public financial and other institutions in order to protect and stimulate industrial development. In particular, the basic rural, small and medium scale and labour intensive manufacturing industries. Fair trade and not free trade, with support to protect our vital manufacturing industries. And with the water, our precious bodily fluids, tariffs. If we are to protect our manufacturing industry, uh, manufacturing, not in, uh, right, okay, a gerund that's called, from further decline clo- to close, there. <sighs> I'm going to have to get used to talking about tariffs because they come up in a bit. Tariffs. If we are to protect our manufacturing from further decline, dec- a closure or going offshore, then we must reintroduce tariffs. We cannot compete with countries that pay slave wages under poor working conditions. The decline of our manufacturing industry is because of liberal, national and labour policies and international treaties that they've signed. A strong economy is one that can feed, produce and provide for itself. Irresponsible governments and politicians are continuing put us in a position where we will be at the mercy of the IMF or UN. Our decline will not 
stop until Australians make a stand and force politicians to stop selling out our country by replacing them. That's the politicians to be replaced. Product labelling, that's basically the same bit as we read before, but an additional note at the bottom, there must be truth in labelling. recent free trade agreement with China will further erode jobs, with Chinese businesses bringing in their own workers, not to mention the highly secretive trans-Pacific partnership, which one nation believes will see more of our industries and jobs disappear. We are taxed to the hilt. Enough is enough. Multinationals must pay their fair share of tax. Economics and tax policy. One Nation's economic policy will deliver opportunities and benefits to everyday Australians. Australia needs our honesty, courage and persistence. Economics is about people and trust. When the rules are fair, honest and stable, people have the confidence to start and grow their businesses and employ people to deliver a strong, independent economy that creates prosperity for all households. One Nation candidates elected to federal government will work to develop and support policies that, one, oh, these are all in capitals, bring back trust using proven systems for making informed national economic decisions and budgets based on accurate data so people, families and employers have certainty and confidence. Two, bring back federalism and restore Australia's constitution so that our economy is run for the benefit of Australians instead of the United Nations and unaccountable foreign bodies that have interfered and have choked our economy since the federal government handed power to the International Monetary Fund in 1944. Three, address deep structural flaws developed in our economy since 1944 and increase opportunities and home ownership for our young people while making sure our retirees and eligible people on welfare can have a solid, secure future. To do this, we must bring taxes, debt and budgets under control. Three, bring back cheap, accessible, reliable energy to restore manufacturing, jobs and exports, bring back fairness for farmers, reduce electricity bills, lift the purchasing power of people's wages and ensure family livelihoods while protecting our biggest material asset, our beautiful environment. Five, back a people's bank that was run transparently. Oh, bring back a people's bank. Oh, I see did we have a people's bank? A people's bank. Sounds a bit Soviet to me. Bring back a people's bank that was run transparently for Australians, uh, Australia's early prosperity, and that will build infrastructure for future benefit to all households. One nation is accountable to the Australian people and will report annually to the electors on our performance in freeing Australians by repealing legislation now choking Australia and on our efforts to restore Australia to a free, fair and prosperous nation.
Australian lawyer economics. Uh, <laughs> I, I just need a quick drink before reading this next paragraph. Australian lawyer, economist, writer and bush poet A.B. Banjo-Patterson said in 1899, quote, It must always be remembered that we are dealing here in life with the simple question whether we can by any means be enabled to make a better living. We will bring back proven policies to fix deep structural flaws in our country, to restore affordability to householders, restore home ownership for young people, restore choices for mothers who prefer to stay home and raise children themselves, restore full-time work, and restore initiative as the driver of successful businesses and every successful and truly sustainable national economy. We will work for fairness and honesty in our tax system that now sees a person on the average income pay 68% of his or her income to the... What? They don't. We... <laughs> we will work for fairness and honesty in our tax system that now sees a person on the average income pay 68% of his or her income to government while foreign-owned companies avoid company tax through the Liberals' 1953 double taxation legislation. Further, it is not right or fair that spectators avoid tax. I've been doing this thing in the wrong voice all along, haven't I? It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not right or fair that speculators avoid tax while families pay up to 5% stamp duty on home purchases. It is shameful that under Liberals, Labor, Nationals, Greens, at the end of the greatest resources boom in world history, our country, blessed with immense natural wealth, is drowning in debt and our young people can't find work or own their own home. Yet in our country's first two decades, Australia led the world in per capita gross domestic product and developed infrastructure using a proven combination of financial policies. Although much of that infrastructure still serves us, we need to upgrade and build to, a secure, to secure Australia's future. Our policies give Australians opportunities and bring back success and brings back success. It's a bit, it's a bit kind of open-ended, this, isn't it? Our policy gives Australians opportunities and brings back success using proven ways for people to thrive, and it puts government back to its proper role. Pauline Hanson's One Nation stands for Australian values. That's been capitalised. Federalism, honesty and integrity, fairness, freedom and human progress, because Australia is for all Australians. Help us bring back, air, yeah, donate, vote, whatever. Uh, has any of this not been said before on the rest? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, there's some good stuff here. Additional information, which which begins for some reason at number two, and then none of the others are numbered. We said that. We said that. We said that. There's a bit more about farmers' rights and property rights. Uh, oh 
Yeah, review the federal government's role and restrict it to areas defined in the Constitution and then hand all other current federal activities back to the states or back to the people. In accordance with the Australian Constitution, we will work to end the federal duplication of state responsibilities and get the federal government out of people's lives to allow state governments to make decisions closer to the people. We will cut federal waste to protect welfare and cut our country's debt. We'll protect Australian laws and values through preventing Sharia law and other religious laws. We'll investigate 7,000 foreign treaties and commitments signed by Liberal Labor Nationals governments with a view to revoking all but those beneficial to Australia and Australians. We'll get Australia out of politically driven wars, as opposed to the other kind, and stop Australia entering wars other than for Australia's direct defence. War is the greatest destroyer of resources, people and the environment. History has repeatedly proven that the most effective way to help oppressed people in other countries is to strengthen our economy's resilience and to trade with them fairly. We will bring back honesty to restore Australia for Australians. Asset sales and leasing. Australians in general oppose the sale of their public assets. Most of the time, our governments sell our assets without consultation and approval from the public. One nation understands we can't maintain our current debt levels. Interest alone is strangling us. But this cannot be solved by selling profit-making assets for a short-term fix. Governments must take responsibility for the continual waste of taxpayers' dollars by cutting spending and calling for more accountability. Jobs for the boys, mismanagement and incompetence is wrong and should not be tolerated. Pauline Hanson and One Nation have always opposed the sale of public assets, as Pauline did with Telstra. Telstra was making a profit of $2 billion in 1996, and now in 2014... I thought One Nation was living in the past a bit. And now in 2014, $4.3 billion. An estimated 56,000 jobs were lost. The Commonwealth Bank is another Australian asset that has been sold. In 2015, it made a profit of over $9 billion. It does not make sense to sell profit-making assets. More importantly, One Nation believes essential services such as electricity, water, telecommunications and gas should remain in the hands of governments and not private companies. These are essential services and should not be run for profit. Private companies are only interested in making profits for their shareholders. Yes, that's the definition. Their directors are paid huge salaries according to profit. Therefore, if we are to maintain low costs for essential services, we cannot privatise them. South Australia privatised their electricity, which is now owned by billionaire Lee Ka Shing, who makes four times more profit out of SA than its UK group. Now SA has the highest electricity costs in the world. Solution. Instead of selling public assets to curb our debt, One Nation proposes cuts to the politicians' lurks and perks and more accountability of travel costs and expenses. After all, these politicians keep saying that the age of entitlement is over. One Nation also proposes a cutback of the number of state and federal politicians. There are too many stouts in the trough. We want representation, not career politicians at the expense of economic stability. Our estimation is that each politician costs the taxpayer $1 million per year. This includes their staffing expenses, superannuation and more that they are entitled to. Spelt T-O-O. Australia 
must drive investment opportunities for businesses, industry and manufacturing. Get rid of the red tape, over-the-top fees and charges, give support and cut the time frame from time of application to final decision. State payroll taxes also need to be abolished to encourage companies to employ more staff. Common sense tells you you don't tax someone for the more people they employ. Common sense. We can own our assets and not have to lease them if the federal government got out of the 1953 double taxation agreement and made multinationals pay their taxes here instead of sending profits to safe havens. I was about to say overseas, but it actually says offshore. The majority of people, and even my own children, want to own their own home. The problem with this, and in inner city Melbourne, is that most of it's been bought up and built by the Chinese. Pauline can even turn the housing story into a xenophobic rant. Blame the Chinese. We should get on your bloody horse and, and ride out of town, Darren, because you're a bloody idiot, because you don't understand this. You are not in touch with the Australian people. Home ownership for young Australians. The great Australian dream is to own your own home. But with the ever-increasing cost of living, this dream is out of reach for many young Australians. Australia has a shortage of housing due to increased immigration. Approximately 190,000 per year in 2013, and 457 visa holders approximately 109,000. Therefore, housing in some parts of Australia is very much sought after. Hence, high rents are asked for and paid. One Nation proposes to give our young Australians the opportunity of owning their own home and access the housing market. One Nation proposes to allow Australians up to the age of 38 to access their accumulated superannuation funds to use as a deposit to buy their first home. The purchase of the home must be for their sole use and not an investment property. If the house were to be sold, the funds can be rolled over into another home for their sole use or paid back into their super fund. We need to look to the future. If we give young Australians the opportunity to access the housing market, they are more likely to own their home in their old age. If not, the government is going to have to provide housing. In today's economy, they cannot meet the ever-increasing demand. As we've seen in recent years with the global financial crisis, a lot of people lost money from their superannuation funds. This is not only a good investment by putting their money in bricks and mortar, but it also gives them stability and security. More importantly, giving them pride in working towards owning their own home, the great Australian dream. Housing. What is housing costing Australians? Many Australians are finding it more and more difficult to own their own homes due to escalating costs and not being able to get out of the rental market. Both the Labor, Liberal and National governments have encouraged foreign investment, even to the detriment of Australians, owning their own homes. We are told often that foreign investment is good for a country. Governments encourage foreign investment because of the revenue it brings. There are guidelines for temporary residents and foreign non-residents purchasing real estate property in Australia. They must apply to the Foreign Investment Review Board before purchasing. A temporary resident... What's happened here is that they said below is the guideline and a click-through that thing, but they've then included the relevant bits of it. A temporary resident is a person who is residing in Australia. Why are we redefining temporary residents here? 
I think this is the important bit. What guarantees do we have that foreign students, parents or family who have purchased property, still own the property after the student no longer resides at the premises or left the country? What guarantees do we have that foreigners are not buying established dwellings? The Foreign Investment Review Board should be working with the Immigration Department and the real estate industry. The point here is if housing is illegally bought or held, then it depletes the housing market for Australians. This may well drive up the price of housing, making it unaffordable for first home buyers. All foreign non-residents are required to notify FIRB of any proposed acquisition of residential real estate. Foreign non-residents or short-term visa holders can invest in Australian real estate only if that investment adds to the housing stock. This generally occurs by acquiring new dwellings, off-the-plan properties under construction or yet to be built, or vacant land for development. Non-resident foreign persons cannot buy established dwellings as the investment properties or as homes. Are these guidelines adhered to? And what practices are in place when someone purchases a property? Across our nation, we are seeing multi-storey housing developments that are sold off the plan entirely to foreign investment. Australians don't have the opportunity to purchase from many of these developments. The only stamp duty paid to state governments, approximately $1,000 on the land. One Nation proposes that at the time of purchase and signing, signing, one nation proposes that at the time of purchase and signing the contract, the sales agent, or if a private sale, the solicitor is handling the conveyancing, must cite documentation of the purchaser being an Australian citizen by way of passport, birth certificate, or permanent residency documentation, which would be noted and signed on an appropriate form by the licensed salesperson. All purchases from foreign investment shall be recorded with the Immigration Department. If a temporary student or foreign investor purchasing property uh, approval from the foreign... Excuse me uh, for a moment while I try and make sense of this next sentence. If a temporary resident or foreign investor purchasing property... Oh, if it is a temporary resident or foreign investor purchasing property, approval from the Foreign Investment Review Board must be attached to the contract. All new housing developments, regardless of the number of units, must have half of the stock sold to Australian citizens or permanent residents. Foreign investors who have bought property in Australia illegally would face forfeiting their properties and the real estate agents who sold them heavily fined or loss of their licences. Foreign students who are found to have bought properties and not living in them while studying will forfeit their property. Foreign students who do not sell their properties within a year of leaving the country after finishing their studies will also forfeit the properties. How many properties in our cities do foreigners own illegally? We would advise Australians to report anyone who they suspect may have purchased a property outside the guidelines of the Foreign Investment Review Board. At the end of the day, it may make enough of difference for Australians to own their own home. This podcast is made possible by you. 
the listeners through your subscriptions and one-off donations. Today's episode is supported by generous contributions from Adam Baxter, Bob Ogden, Corinne, Daniel, Guy, Drew, Hammy, Jason Langenauer, Joel, Jono, Nick Lawrence, Paul Davis, Rashes Mustaches, Rowan Pierce, Stringy, the lovely Corinne, Tim Bell, Twiddlekins, and the pantsless donator. And three people who've chosen to remain anonymous. Many thanks. Thanks also to a late addition to the list, Rosemary Ryan. A new subscription system will be online before the end of July. If you'd like to support the 9pm edict in the meantime, please throw a few dollars into the pot at stillgarian.com forward slash tip. That's right. The pot is at the end of the tip. I also noticed that uh, we, we had a mention there of the pantsless donator. That reminds me that I need to remove my pants at this point of the podcast. Done. University allowance. Over the last two generations, Australians have taken great pride in bettering themselves through additional education, in particular tertiary studies through universities or TAFE colleges. For many, this dream was passed on to their children. Some of our grandparents left school at the age of 13 or younger, and some of our parents left at 15, and now, today, the average age is 18. However, many students these days will go on to higher education following their dreams and ambitions of a profession that will support them and provide for their future families lives that are financially comfortable and therefore happy. This is of great assistance to students who are relieved of the burden of having to pay up front. What? Have we mentioned this in the previous paragraph? No, but there you go. This is of great assistance to students. This, this maybe it's the they. They provide the this is of great assistance to students who are relieved of the burden of having to pay up front for this large fee. Students may also apply for a youth allowance from the government. The amount received is conditional and based upon whether a student is single and living independently or single and living at home, dependent on their parents. An assets-based test... Why are they spending so long explaining what the current system is before getting to their policies? Ah, then we get to the guts of it. If you are 22 years or over, you are automatically considered independent. At 18 years of age, our youth are obliged to vote, are legally able to drink alcohol and join the armed forces without being tied to their parents' apron strings or income, as they are classified as adults. Then how does it follow that a student attending uni or TAFE is tied to or assessed on their parents and their own incomes? Is this appropriate? Is this fair and just? If we are to be seen as encouraging our youth to better themselves through further education, which ultimately Australia will benefit from, then surely we must do so with financial assistance that not only eases the stress of the financial and emotional burdens of juggling part-time work and studies, but also enables them to retain their dignity and independence. I could... I call on the government to assist tertiary students with an allowance equivalent to the dole based on the assessment of an individual's assets and income, regardless of whether they're living at home and non-inclusive of their parents' income and assets. This initiative will have the additional benefit of freeing up casual jobs currently held by tertiary students and provide incomes for single parents and other youth looking for casual work. 
is employment. One Nation believes that re-industrialisation is the best way of creating lasting full-time employment with positions for skilled, semi-skilled and unskilled workers. This combines with training Australians rather than importing skills. Tax and economic reform, rescinding of harmful treaties, goddamn treaties, and industrial relations policy based on fairness and equality for all Australian employers and employers. Please, 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 please. Fairness, enable manufacturing, business, compete, level playing field. Yeah. One Nation will make creating employment and the reducing of unemployment and all its associated social ills our prime objective. Yeah. One Nation's industrial relations policy is based on fairness and equality for all parties concerned. The important role trade unions have played in Australia is recognised and the continuing need for workers to have access to union assistance to protect them from unscrupulous employer or employers, that should be, that's their fault, not mine, or negotiate their wages and conditions, is acknowledged. (laughs) Though encouraged, membership of unions will continue to be voluntary. Employment and workplace relations? If a country has an agricultural base from which to feed its people, industrial infrastructure, a skilled manufacturing base, abundant energy and mineral resources and a healthy, united and educated population, it has the essentials to become self-sufficient. If that country is barren of opportunity for its young, unable to care for its aged, dependent on goods and finance from foreigners and unemployment amongst its workforce is rife... The problem is political ineptitude and economic mismanagement. Pauline Hansen's One Nation believes in training programs based on the needs of industry and businesses providing indentured apprenticeships to further skills and higher education. We need to return to indentured apprenticeship-based training, which recent governments have discouraged. Due to their policy of dismantling our industrial base, these positions have not been available. So most children have been forced to stay on at school. Thought we were, so I thought they wanted to. The ideal age for an apprenticeship is after the third year at high school, at the age of 15 to 16 years, an age receptive to discipline and learning. The majority are now forced to stay another two years at school, at which time it is unusually No, usually, at which time it's usually too late for them to successfully enter a trade. Nursing is a typical example. Many who would have made excellent nurses have been lost due to the disbandment of on-the-job apprenticeship training for academic training. This is reflected in the shortage of nurses and drop in standards of our care in hospitals. Engineering trades have suffered the same problem. We are fast losing all our skills as the older generations retire and there's no one to hand them down to. Apprenticeships training is the ideal base to go on to almost any field or position. Most of our top engineers started out this way. One Nation recognises that long-term employment must come from the private sector. We desire a return to Australian ownership of land, resources, public utilities and businesses. The assets and resources of Australia must be the property of the Australian people. Does that sound communist to you? One nation believes that combined with, the, with a strong primary industry and a vigorous resource sector, the stimulation of a broad-based manufacturing centre is vital to Australia's future, Australia's future well-being. We should not force industry and employment 
to go offshore. And now we have an apprenticeship scheme. In the 1960s, Australia was a thriving country. Job security was never an issue. Unemployment was around 2%. And most Australians finishing school had many work opportunities and choices. Apprenticeships in all trades were on offer, as many of our youth took up the tools, with many going on to own their own businesses. Today, it's hard to find businesses willing to employ apprentices. TAFE colleges are closing down across the country, which will see a further decline in the number of apprentices. The downturn in the economy is a factor, but also the lack of real government assistance is the deciding factor why businesses are not putting apprentices on. Due to the reduced number of tradesmen and women in Australia, our government, past and present, have opened the borders, calling for skilled migrants. We need to ensure that our youth and older Australians have the opportunity to take up a trade. Not every Australian wants a university degree or a desire for higher education. In contrast to what the immediately preceding document said, we should support the tradie. Each and every one of us relies on their expertise every day in our lives. One Nation is calling for an apprenticeship scheme where the government pays 75% of the first year's wage, 50% of the second and 25% of the third. This has to be a bipartisan agreement with the federal government. The finer details will be mapped out so that apprentices finish their trade and businesses that are held responsible for their trade and qualifications being finalised. Employers will not be given the opportunity to abuse the scheme or see it as a cash cow. This would give our nation our own homegrown tradesmen and women. Youth, that is 15 to 24-year-old, unemployment is around 15% and a lot higher in some parts of Australia. Many only see a life living on New Start allowance or some form of welfare. Our future generations be given every opportunity to obtain gainful employment. The word, oh, I should be. No, this isn't there. In turn... They would have a job, pay tax, and not be a burden on our system. For too long we have suffered trial by media and those with hidden agendas. Let my fellow Australians judge me on what I say but don't deny me the right to have my say. I am not a racist. Criticism is not racism. I am a proud Australian fighting for our democracy, culture and way of life. Citizens-initiated referendum. Pauline Hanson's One Nation accepts that under the Australian Constitution, sovereignty is ultimately resident in the people. I don't. That's fairly clear. They haven't actually read the Constitution. Then, supreme authority or power is vested in the people, and the machinery of government is an instrument whose duty it is to carry out the will of the people. They don't really seem to know how a parliamentary Sorry, yeah, you know what I mean. This is really, oh, this is going to get good, really, isn't it? Any changes to the Constitution 
or adoption of international laws can therefore only be authorised by the people through referendum. Ultimate authority hence resides with the people and not government. Australia must remain a sovereign and democratic nation devoted to this principle. The Australian Constitution was designed primarily as a set of rules to govern the relationship between the federal and state governments. It was hoped that these rules would in no way infringe on the traditional rights and freedoms of the individual. The most sinister aspect of the continuing campaign to subvert the federal constitution has been the misuse of the external powers by federal government in order to enter into international agreements and conventions on a wide array of subject subjects, many of which have traditionally been under state jurisdiction. Then to argue that because of their external agreement, the federal government had the constitutional right to legislate for the whole of Australia, even if it conflicted with state and territory policy. By this procedure, federal government has, without consulting the people by referendum, progressively increased their power over all aspects of Australian life. Australians were jolted into a realisation of how their constitution had been subverted when the High Court began handing down decisions that allow international law to overrule our sovereignty. Justice today is only for the wealthy and is no longer affordable to most Australians. Accountability and the selection of the judiciary needs to be reviewed, as often their decisions do not reflect the real-world expectations of the people. One nation will not recognise any treaty or trade agreement signed in breach of our constitution. We will withdraw from them and take the appropriate constitutional action. Citizen-initiated referendum will allow Australians to petition the government and demand that their particular issue be put to a binding vote of the whole electorate. Just pause there for a bit, because I just need to do that. Citizen-initiated referendum will allow Australians to petition the government and demand that a particular issue be put to a binding vote of the whole electorate. The petition could relate to a new law, or a law already enacted, or to change the constitution. This is democracy at its best. If Australians collect 2% of the electors' signatures in the form of a petition asking for a referendum, the Parliament is obligated to enforce it as law or it must be put to the electorate at the next general election. If the petition is to change or alter the Constitution, it must be put to the people in a referendum. Citizen-initiated referenda have been operational in parts of Europe since 1874, in parts of the USA since 1898, and in New Zealand since 1993. One Nation supports the CIR as a system that allows all members of society to have a direct say in government decision-making. Representative democracy only allows individuals or parties the right to decide for the rest of us. One Nation believes in not only upholding the right, but the need for all Australians to effectively raise debate on current issues of concern and have the mechanism to democratically pursue those issues to produce an outcome of legislative change that is actually the will of the people. Minimising fraudulent voting. 
When Australians cast their votes at elections, are they getting who they really voted for? Electoral fraud is quite real and does happen in our elections. I know. I and what? I know. I and one nation have been victim of it. When anyone goes to vote, they are not asked for any form of identification, just ask for their name and address. The old saying, vote early, vote often, is associated with people moving from booth to booth and voting at all the booths. A Liberal Party member told Pauline Hanson years ago, as we change from the first person into the third, when, when counting the votes, if they came across a blank vote, they would have a piece of lead under their fingernail and mark the ballot to make a formal vote for their candidate. Another reason why scrutineers, especially for minor parties and independents, need to be present at vote counting. When Pauline Hanson stood for the New South Wales Upper House in 2011, she narrowly missed winning the last seat by 900 votes. For five days, she didn't have scrutineers watching the count until another minor party member rang, advising her to get people down there fast. When rechecking the blank votes, votes that were not marked at all, her scrutineer found 15 of my votes, back to the first person again, in one pile of 50. There were approximately 150,000 blank votes. Also, there were approximately 170,000 informal votes. A scrutineer observed a bundle of 2,000 informal votes marked for me and not counted because people voted beside my name and didn't mark all the required squares. In that election, Pauline Hanson was denied having her name above the line because she was not a registered political party, which further confused people. The major political parties wish to keep it this way because it favours them. Pauline challenged that election in the Court of Disputed Returns based on an email she received from a person claiming to be Michael Ratner, claiming that fraud was involved. Pauline wanted a recount, considering she came so close to winning the seat, and also based on information regarding the blank votes. It was not to happen. Michael Ratner was actually Sean Castle, and to this day he has never been charged. Why? Under the laws, he committed a criminal offence. Pauline's grandfather was with the Labor Party executive in 1936. He informed her father in later years of the electoral fraud that occurred when a ballot box was completely replaced with fresh votes. Dr Amy McGrath, OAM, wrote the book The Forging of Votes, and with the aid of Bob Bottom, OAM, distinguished investigative journalist, The Frauding of Votes, first published in 1995, in the book, The Frauding of Votes, Dr. McGrath writes, quote, It was discovered that when the Queensland election was held on 1st of November 1986, there were 1,563,294 voters on the Queensland rolls, 45,732 fewer than the 1,618,558 gazetted by the Commonwealth for Queensland three days before. Yet when the next Queensland election was held on the 2nd of December 1987, there were 1,780,785 electors on the Queensland rolls, 46,580 more than the 1,752,405 gazetted by the Commonwealth for Queensland the day before. 
A major ex- so there. A major expose in the Courier Mail on uh, 4th of November 2000 alleged that rorted votes contributed to the 1987 election victory of Labor candidate Michael Lavarche in Fisher. The expose relied largely upon uh, information from a party insider. The insider was quoted as saying that he and other party supporters had cast numerous votes for Lavache and other ALP candidates at state and federal elections by illegally impersonating people. Quote, we got one girl of 18 from Young Labor who thought it was quite exciting. She voted 14 times, the insider told the Courier-Mail. What happens if political parties stack the votes in marginal seats? They register people in caravan parks and wherever they can. Queensland has since adopted a joint federal-state role in January 1992. It will not be the will of the Labor, Liberal, National or Greens to push for our voting system to be cleaned up. It has to come from the will of the people. One Nation proposes for state and federal elections, prior to an election, every registered voter with the AEC receives a card with their name and address on it. When voting, that card must be presented with identification, a driver's licence, passport or other, proving identity and address. The card is then collected by the person crossing your name off the roll before receiving voting papers. At the end of the election the number of cards should equate to the number of names crossed off the roll. It costs the Australian taxpayer approximately $100 million to hold a federal election. This is separate to electoral funding that political parties and independents receive. It's important to our democracy that we have to trust our voting system. From what we've seen and heard, we don't. Firearms and gun control. Thanks for that. Oh, God, that's terrible. The massacre at Port Arthur on April 28, 1996, was the linchpin for the Howard government to implement strict gun controls. The gun buyback of almost 700,000 guns cost Australian taxpayers over $500 million. This forced the buyback of particular guns, some relics and prize possessions, and others of no value were handed over. This was in return for hundreds of dollars, which was then used to buy legal guns. How many criminals handed in their guns? The Port Arthur massacre will never be forgotten, and its impact on Australians, especially those who lost loved ones or suffered since. Martin Bryant, the man responsible for the murder of 35 people and injuring 23 others, was deranged and not of sound mind. He's behind bars for the rest of his life where he belongs. Pauline Hanson's One Nation is not opposed to gun control, but does oppose taking guns by stealth from law-abiding Australians. Guns have always been part of our culture and were very instrumental in the defence of our country during World War II. Australian sportsmen and women are held in high regard with their shooting prowess when on the world stage. Farmers need to eradicate feral pests that attack livestock or put an injured or sick animal out of its misery. Many Australians own guns for a variety of reasons. Some are never fired, just admired and respected family heirlooms. Heirlooms. Gun laws in Australia are very strict on law-abiding Australians. It is government's responsibility to take stronger action against criminals. Almost 100% of offences committed with a gun, the offender was not licensed and the weapon was stolen or acquired unlawfully. 
The federal government has a lot to answer for with regards to border security and the serious lack of investigating containers and imports landing on our shores. Most illegally imported guns are due to the help of crooked customs officials. A report released by the Australian Crime Commission in 2013 stated a conservative estimate of illegal firearms in Australia was in the vicinity of 250,000 long arms and 10,000 handguns. The report also expressed the very real concern in relation to weapons being created through the use of a 3D printer. Statistics show the majority of stolen guns are stolen from the police and defence forces. The government must, as a matter of urgency, teach its own forces better gun management and storage so their weapons do not end up in the hands of criminals. Pauline Hansen's One Nation's firearm policy is based on the following principles. Shooting is a legitimate sport and pastime and participants should be treated accordingly. Current gun laws are adequate and should remain unchanged. Tougher sentencing on gun-related crimes is required. Australians have the right to defend themselves and their families in their own homes. Disarming law-abiding citizens is not in the national interest and will do nothing to reduce crime. Increased inspection of shipping containers entering Australia, especially those ports that have no border security or next to none. Proof of identity for taxpayer-funded services, a national identity card. The ABC News reported 47% skilled migrants and 40% of students from India arrive in Australia on false passports. Until we take control of our borders, we will be taken for a soft touch by those who will use and abuse our system however it may suit them. These people coming to Australia are coming to stay and hopefully get lost in the system, otherwise they would not arrive illegally. They would only have enough money for an interim period of time, but not for the long time. The only way they would be able to survive would to be, use fa- would be to use family and friends to assist them. This may be by the way of housing and by providing them with their Medicare cards to visit the doctor or hospital, giving them information to collect welfare from Centrelink or provide them with employment in a friend or family business. In Thailand, false identification can be purchased off the streets in market stalls at a price as anything purchased can be at a price. Australian driver's licences, Medicare cards, Qantas security passes, truck driver's licences, nurses' qualifications and degrees, to name some. Whatever identification you want can be purchased. It is also possible to purchase an Australian passport. Australians have always been very protective of their identity and concerned about Big Brother watching. Now is the time for us to consider introducing secure identification that cannot be stolen by others to defraud our welfare, medical, schools, pharmaceutical benefits and any other taxpayer-funded service. Chile, as an example, has the person's fingerprint on their passport and driver's licence. All newborns in Chile are fingerprinted at birth. This is a system that cannot be rorted and abused by non-Chilean citizens. Australia must consider introducing the same form of identification to protect our borders with those that should be from, uh, must consider the same form to protect our borders from those entering illegally under false passports and our tax dollars from those who would abuse our system. In 1996-97, 
the health budget for the Commonwealth was approximately $36 billion. I don't know. Oh, I see what they're doing. I was about to say, why are we going 20 years ago? $36 billion. At that time, our population was approx 18.5 million. In 2013-14, the health budget for the Commonwealth is approx 65 billion. Our population now 24 million. The budget has almost doubled, but the population has not. Also, our welfare system is also being abused with people claiming under false identities and aliases. If we're to have the finances to care for our aged, sick and homeless, provide education and infrastructure, then we have to take control. Australians are one of the highest tax countries in the world. Now, Australians are one of the highest tax people. Australia is one of the high oh, these people. Too many Australians are struggling to pay their bills, with many waiting for housing or assistance that our governments are finding hard to provide. Pauline Hanson's One Nation proposes that for those who wish to access taxpayer-funded services, whether it be doctor, hospital, pharmaceuticals, education, welfare, or any other taxpayer-funded service, it will be a legal requirement to prove that you are an Australian citizen or permanent resident entitled to benefits or otherwise pay the full cost of the service. Australians who wish to use taxpayer-funded services will be required to hold a national identity card with their photo and an electronic chip. Machines will be used to scan the card at the point of service, e.g. at a doctor's surgery, Centrelink or other government departments that require identification. This is not an invasion of privacy. It is a matter of national security. These days, there are all manner of information with regards to all of us stored around the nation. This is ensuring that people no longer have the ability to defraud our system. For anyone who does have a problem with holding a card, then they have the right to forego one and pay full service price for all taxpayer-funded services. Always known for straight talking, especially about her controversial views on immigration and race, Pauline Hanson is at it again. Putting her house up for sale in preparation for a move to the UK, she indicated that not all would be welcome to buy the million dollar Queensland property. Not to a, an Asian who lives in another country, to an Australian who's of Asian background, no problems whatsoever. A Muslim? No. Because I don't believe that they're compatible with our way of life, our culture, and I think that we're going to have problems in this country further down the track, so I have no intention of selling my home to a, to a Muslim. You have to know and understand what the Quran says, and that's what people are not going back to. What the teachings of the Quran, and in sections of the Quran I will tell you this, 9.5 surah, fight and slay the pagans. 4.34, control the wives, beat them. 4.89, kill them. 4.84, surah, fight. Mm. This is all about to, yeah, to cause harm, to destroy those mm. who do not believe in you. Go to the source of it. We need a debate in this country. As Julie Bishop said yesterday, it was a politically motivated murder. This is not just all about, um, it's, po it's politics. We have to understand what 
Islam stands for. It is not compatible with our with our country. We have to stop my immigrating more people into Australia who have Islam background. Yeah. We need to know what's been taught in the Islamic schools and the mosques. And we still have more mosques going up in this country. I'm telling you now, and the people know it. Get out of your out of your glass houses. Go and see what's happening. Islam. Islam. Australia is a country built on Christian values. Our laws, way of life and customs enforced in the Australian Constitution were based on a secular country. Secularism is asserting the right to be free from religious rules and teachings or in a state declared to be neutral on the matters of belief from the imposition by government or religion or religious practices upon the people. Australia has embraced migrants from all different races, making us one of the most multiracial nations on earth. Most of as assimilated, most of assimilated, and are proud to call themselves Australian, accepting our culture, beliefs, laws, and way of life. But unfortunately, there are some who have come to our country with the goal of changing our way of life, taking away our freedom, and terrorizing those who want to live in a peaceful society. Those migrants are the extremist Muslims who are devout to the teachings of Islam and its leaders. All may not follow the teachings of the Quran, but if jihad is called, applying any methods, including threats, deceit and ISIS-style warfare to establish Islam as a dominant power, completely endorsed by Allah and Muhammad, where do their loyalties lie? What is Islam and how does it impact upon Australia? Islam sees itself as a theocracy, not a democracy. Islam does not believe in democracy, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, or freedom of assembly. It does not separate religion and politics. Many believe that it is solely a religion, but the reality is that it's much more, for it has a political agenda that goes far outside the realm of religion. Islam regulates the Muslims' social and domestic life, their legal system and politics, their total life. Its religious aspect is fraud. It is rather a totalitarian political system, including legal, economic, social and military components masquerading as a religion. Islam is a constitutionally protected religion, as stated in section 116 of the Australian Constitution. This means that mosques, Islamic schools and other Islamic institutions are void from paying tax. Being defined as a religion, it is considered discriminatory for Islam to be questioned, and this is shutting down any debate that we as Australians would like to have. Islam is proving to be seditious against every nation and government on earth. Islam demands that all Muslims work to overthrow all nations, governments and non-Sharia laws. We recently saw this written within a linked website that was provided in the Australian Defence Force publication Guide to Religion and Belief in the ADF. Since being exposed by journalist Michael Smith, it has been removed. But it stated, quote, It is not permissible for a Muslim to nominate himself in the hope that he can become part of a system which rules according to something other than which Allah has revealed and operates according to something other than the Sharia of Islam. 
it is not permissible for a Muslim to vote for him or for anyone else who will work in that government unless the one who nominates himself or those who vote for him hope that by getting involved in that, in that they will be able to change the system to one that operates according to the Sharia of Islam. And they are using this as a means to overcome the system of government provided that the one who nominates himself will not accept any position after being elected except one that does not go against Islamic Sharia. The credit is provided. The same guide for Muslims in the ADF also stated, democracy is a system that is contrary to Islam because legislative authority is given to someone other than Allah. May he be exalted. In these systems, legislation has been promulgated allowing abortion, same-sex marriage, and usurious interest. The rulings of Sharia have been abolished, and fornication and adultery and the drinking of alcohol are permitted. In fact, this system is at war with Islam and its followers. There's a link to the full article on the uh, One Nation website. Islam is the fastest-growing ideology in the world. Muslims represent a world population of 1.6 billion now and expected to be 2.3 billion by 2050. Pew Research believe Australia's Muslim population is currently at 2.4% and growing. It has been noted throughout the world that as long as the Muslim population remains around or under 2% in any given country, they will, for the most part, they will be, for the most part, regarded as a peace-loving minority and not a threat to other citizens. Australia is now seeing big changes in the suburbs which are predominantly Muslim. Some of these suburbs include Lakemba, Auburn, Bankstown, Punchbowl and Villawood in western Sydney. Tolerance towards other Australians or non-Muslim migrants is no longer the case. Our law courts are disrespected and prisons have become breeding grounds for extremist Muslims to radicalise inmates. Terrorism is not only seen around the world, but is now part of our history with Muslim refugees involved in the Lint Cafe siege, the murder of police civilian employee Curtis Ching and the stabbing of the two police officers in Victoria. We have more Australian Muslims fighting for ISIS than we have in our Defence Force, and ASIO has over 450 known terror suspects under surveillance. Civil tension is on the rise across the country, led by Australians feeling the impact of Islam in their lives and distaste for its belief. The halal certification tax has been forced upon us, costing Australians around one sorry, around $10 million a year. Halal certification is not a religious requirement, but a money-making racket by those profiteering from the greater population, including Muslims themselves, who are being told that they must buy these items. Halal certification only started in Australia in 1974. What were Muslims eating before that? Non-halal food can be consumed provided that the word bismillah, in the name of God, is said over the food as a prayer. Christmas carols can no longer be sung at some schools. Bibles will not be found in most hospitals. Some public swimming baths have time set aside for Muslim women only. And driver's licenses obtained by Muslim women allow them to wear the burqa or niqab. Prayer rooms are now provided in universities, hospitals, schools, airports and shopping centres to accommodate Muslims. This includes Islamic prayer rooms in Christian schools. There are some Muslims who want to see Sharia law introduced in Australia. This law is the total totalitarian social code. 
which provide, which, let's start that paragraph again, because I think this is important, important to them. There are some Muslims who want to see Sharia law introduced in Australia. This law is the totalitarian social code which prescribes harsh feudal rules imposed on everything, firstly for Muslims, later for everyone. It has been reported that Sharia law is already being practised in Australia within family law. There are some Islamic terms that all Australians should be aware of. If Islam itself was a tolerant, non-discriminatory, non-deceptive and progressive culture, why do the following definitions exist? Dibi is any non-Muslim, Christian or Jew, allowed to live and pay tax under domination of Islam and treated as a second-class citizen in his or, own, his or her own country. Hijra is Muslim colonisation of other lands, Australia, through migration. Kafir is any non-Muslim, us, the lowest rank of being worthy of contempt, should be ruled over by Muslims. Taqiyya is deliberate deception and lying to protect or advance Islam by concealing its real agenda. One message to guide the Muslims, a separate one to fool, to fool the media and kafir. Islam has no place in Australia if we are to live in a cohesive society. We have seen the destruction it is having around the world. If we do not make the necessary changes now to stop the advancement of Islam in Australia, there will be no hope in the future. Do you want your children and grandchildren to be living under Sharia law and treated as second-class citizens with no rights? We don't. Pauline Hanson's One Nation policy? We will enact the following call for an inquiry or royal commission to determine if Islam is a religion or political ideology. Stop further Muslim immigration and the intake of Muslim refugees. Ban the burqa and niqab in public places. Driver's license cannot be obtained without showing the full face and having photo ID on the driver's license. Surveillance cameras to be installed in all mosques and schools. Mosques to be open to the public during all opening hours. No more mosques to be built until the inquiry is held. Oppose the introduction of Sharia law. Investigate welfare payments paid to Muslims who may be in multiple marriages having multiple children. Ban halal certification. Halal certified food not to be provided in prisons or the armed services. Companies may comply for export, but no monies must be paid. Call for a referendum to change Section 116 of the Australian Constitution. Muslims will not be allowed to be sworn into Parliament under the Quran. Female genital mutilation to carry lengthy jail terms. Halal certification. Do you realise that you are paying a tax slash surcharge that funds Islamic schools and mosques when you do your shopping? What is also believed is that it funds terrorism. In October 2010, news broke about how the Campbell Soup Company received an Islamic halal certification for some of its product line and many were outraged. 
There was a legitimate concern, not with the fact that Campbell's received the certification, but with what organisation the certification came from, that being the Islamic Society of North America, ISNA, which is a group co-founded by Palestinian Islamic Jihad, PIJ leader Sami al-Aryan. In 2007 and 8. Isna was named by the U.S. Justice Department as a co-conspirator for two federal trials dealing with the financing of millions of dollars to Hamas. The defendants of the trials were the leaders of the Holy Land Foundation for Relief and Development, and HLF itself. In the end, each was found guilty of all charges. So why should you, as an Australian, be concerned about halal certification? Well, by buying halal certified products, it means that you are financially supporting the Islamization of Australia, including Sharia law, which opposes our Australian constitution and democracy. The halal certification fees extracted from companies would have to be passed on to the consumer, as this is a large cost to them. Australians are being forced, and we will use the word forced, to buy food that is halal certified. This means food that has been subjected to approved certification systems, which guarantees to the consumer that nothing in the food has any forbidden components, such as blood, pork, alcohol, and the flesh of carnivals or carrion, not to mention coming from an animal which has not been slaughtered in the correct manner, having its throat slit. Halal certificates are issued for a fee by a certifying body. This system began in, began in the 1980s. In France, the halal food market is worth an estimated $7 billion per annum. Companies in Australia don't discuss what it costs them, as they have signed non-disclosure agreements. Yet we've been informed that one chicken manufacturer in Australia had to pay $40,000 per processing plant per annum. A milk producer has to pay $7,000 per annum, and even a small confectionery manufacturer was quoted $1,800 per annum. These fees are passed on to the consumer. You. The estimated worth of halal accreditation worldwide is in excess of $2.5 trillion per annum. Halal food by itself is not a concern. Nearly all food is naturally halal, meaning permissible under Islamic Sharia law. Observant Muslims can make food of unknown origin halal by pronouncing bismillah over their meals as a prayer. What is of concern is the recent invention of halal certification schemes. Halal certification is a money-making racket. Other products with halal certification include food essence, makeup and cosmetics, clothing, transport, conveyor belts, cold storage, cleaning products, pet food, holidays, medicine and vitamins. The race is on to establish powerful international pharmaceutical halal brands with an estimated worth of $500 billion per annum. An example of non-food items that carry the halal label is New Ways International Australia, based in Adelaide. Their products cover shampoos, conditioners, skin cleansers, creams and more. Australian icon Cadbury paid to have the halal certification on their Easter products range in 2014, even though Easter is a Christian celebration and nothing to do with Islam. It is reported 71 of Cadbury's products are halal certified. 
Other Australian iconic brands and names paying for halal certification, including Coles and Woolworths White Milk, Sour Cream and some bakery items, Aldi, Franklin's, Kellogg's Cornflakes and All Brand, Master Foods, Sara Lee, Nestle, Bega Cheese, Dairy Farmers, Heinz, Colgate, Tassel, Stengel's Chickens, uh, Stegels, I know is the name of that company, but it says Stengel's here, and Sanitarium's Wheat Bix, to name some out of a reported 900 Australian companies and growing. This tax is an impost on the Australian consumer, of which 98% are non-Muslim. Australians are struggling to meet everyday cost of living and should not be forced to pay extra. Another great concern is that some of the monies indirectly support terrorism. 60% of halal food in France is controlled by an organisation belonging to the Muslim Brotherhood. Other taxes collected go to Islamic schools and mosques or directly into the pockets of those who see this as a viable profit-making business. Pauline Hansen's One Nation will call for the banning of Australian and non-Australian companies operating in Australia from paying a halal certification tax. Collecting monies for this certification will be illegal. All products that are halal certified must be clearly marked and easily identified by consumers. Companies that wish to export product to Muslim countries must gain halal certification from our government. Pauline, right now I will invite you to join me in Sydney and I will take you out for a halal snack pack out in the western suburbs of Sydney whenever you want. Not happening. Not interested in halal. Thank you. Not interested in it. I don't believe in halal certification. If you are seeing me now, it means that I don't like it. When you turn my voice about, I don't like it. When you vote One Nation out, my language has been murdered. My language has been murdered. My shopping trolley murdered. My groceries just gone. I don't like it. When you turn my voice about, I don't like it. When you vote One Nation out, my language has been murdered. My language has been murdered. My shopping trolley murdered. My groceries just gone. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, racist, rubbish, racist, hate. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, racist, rubbish, racist, feel the heat. I don't like it when, um, railway lines are white. I don't like it when, um, day becomes night. My language has been murdered. My language has been murdered. My shopping trolley murdered. My groceries just gone. I don't like it. No, 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 I don't. Never did. I don't like it. I don't like anything, anything, anything. I don't like it. No, 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 I don't. Nowhere near. I don't like it. I don't like anything, anything, anything. Please explain. Why can't my blood be coloured white? I should talk to some medical doctors. Coloured blood is just not right. I don't like anything. I can't do anything about it. But I like dancing. I like the disco because I left my heart in San Francisco. Feel the heat on the street, dance to the beast, out of your feet. Feel the heat on the street, dance to the beast, out of your feet. Get down, get down, down, down. I don't like anything except I like Neil Diamond. Disco, dance, disco, dance, disco. Nation, not a chance. Disco, dance, disco, dance. Out of my tree, out of my branch. I don't. 
don't like it. No, 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 I don't. Never did. I don't like it. I don't like anything, anything, anything. I don't like it. No, 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 I don't. I don't care. I don't like it. I don't like anything. I don't like a puppet without strings. There's a muppet in the wings and it's saying racist things. I won't cop that. No way. I Kill the racist star powered one who's what you are. But here's on the scrap heap too. Bit of a downer. I, I don't like anything. I can't do anything about it. But I like dancing. No, I like the disco. Because I left my heart in San Francisco. Yeah. Feel the heat on the street. Dance to the beat. Get out of your feet. Feel the heat on the street. Dance to the beat. I don't like it. No, 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 I don't. Never did. I don't like it. I don't like anything, anything, anything. I don't like it. No, 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 I don't. I don't care. I don't like it. I don't like anything, 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 anything. No, the whole thing is wrong and it stinks and I don't like it. You're listening to the 9pm One Nation Policy Reading. Tonight, Stilgarian is reading the full policy agenda of Pauline Hanson's One Nation. Every single word. I hope you're coping. Just a reminder that the edict is an audience-supported podcast. To make a financial contribution, please go to stilgarian.com forward slash tip. Age pension increases. Our older Australians have done it tough over the past decades. Larger families compared to today's number were the norm. Men were the main breadwinners and life was a struggle. Many of our parents and grandparents fought in wars, worked hard to provide for their families and paid their taxes. Those that had had the opportunity saved what they could, went without, invested or ran successful businesses. Australia grew and prospered Australia grew and prospered because Australians contributed to its growth. Unemployment in 1940 was approximately 2%. Welfare and handouts was not a way of life. And they were not a way of life either. When living costs, government taxes increasing, housing unaffordability for many, and rising rents, hospitalisation for medical procedures, well beyond our government's ability to provide where necessary, and some of the problems... So I started going through that quite fast. And then kind of I lost track of what this sentence might even mean. Now, I know that's happened quite a lot uh, during this particular uh, recording session, but let's have another go at that sentence. When living costs... Oh, with. With living costs, government taxes... Ah. This is very badly written. I don't know we've noticed that so far. With living costs, government taxes increasing, housing unaffordability for many and rising rents, hospitalisation for medical procedures well beyond our government's ability to provide when necessary, are some of the problems our aged are facing on a daily basis. Ah, no wonder I'm having trouble reading that. That's awful. Australia's aged pensioners need to be treated with more respect and dignity. It is an absolute disgrace when many are left at the mercy of our governments to survive as best they can. 
Escalating electricity costs have made many afraid to put a heater on in winter or a fan on in summer. Others eat frugally and cannot afford to buy a decent piece of steak, let alone go out for lunch or dinner. A lot of our aged pensioners rely on relatives for support, helping them pay bills or giving food just to survive. The men and women on the land are poorly treated when it comes to the aged pension. If you own acreage, then the family home and the immediate five acres are free of an asset test. The rest of the land is valued, and if over the threshold, then you will not be entitled to the age pension. This also affects their entitlement to health care assistance. In many cases, the land cannot be divided up and sold due to council regulations. People are forced from the land because they cannot receive the aged pension and health assistance. They are forced from their homes. In fairness, if someone can own a home worth millions of dollars and collect the age pension, why is the man on the land persecuted when their land value may be far less than most homes free of their assets tests in city areas? One Nation's policies on aged pensions... We propose an increase of $100 per fortnight for a single-age pensioner and $150 for a couple. We do not support increasing the age of entitlement to 70 years of age. We will oppose the family home as part of the assets test. Review the entitlement of people with more than five acres receiving the age pension and health benefits. One Nation believes in supporting and taking care of our own who have contributed to this great nation and not those who land uninvited on our doorstep and immediately receive medical, welfare, housing, phones and cigarettes. Euthanasia. Euthanasia or voluntary assisted suicide has been the subject of much moral, religious, philosophical, legal and human rights debate in Australia. Each and every one of us is going to face death. How, when and where we do not know. I am not afraid of death. What many are afraid of is the possibility of years, months, weeks or even days of pain that is not warranted, uncalled for and unnecessary. All of those things. Towards the end of one's life, morphine for the pain is given, but in some cases it causes more distress and discomfort because their body cannot take it. This can be very distressing for not only the patient but also the family. No one is God. And no one has the right to dictate to another how they should face death, face death or when. Religious institutions, the medical profession and politicians have no right to impose their beliefs, wishes or political agenda on any individual when it comes to death. In a humane society, when an animal is in pain or suffering, we put it out of its misery. Most people have a deep love for their animals and having to put their animal down is like parting with a family member. Yet we are denied this same humane act when it comes to people. Why? Before death, most of us make out a will. We choose someone we trust to be the executor of our will and to carry out our wishes with the distribution of our possessions. A person's body is no different. One Nation proposes that a citizen or resident of Australia, 18 years or older, would have the right to have a legal document drawn up with regards to being euthanised. The document must appoint two people as executor of the medical will, and it must stipulate when that person's wishes are to be carried out. 
a decision for the patient to be euthanized must be agreed upon by both executors and a medical doctor who is familiar with the patient's medical history must also give his or her authority. Superannuation has been a big topic for the leaders, uh, both parties, this week. What's your view on changes to superannuation? Leave the superannuation alone. They cannot change it. People are fed up. They've, they make their plans. The superannuation schemes were brought into place. Leave it the way it is. They're destroying um, people who have no understanding where they're going. They say this is, you know, will have no impact. It will give some people stability. And I do not believe in changing it. Family Law Courts Child Support Scheme. Pauline Hanson's One Nation believes that safe, secure and happy societies require, as a guiding principle, strong functional family units. One Nation considers government should recognise this basic principle and adopt responses that are aimed at long-term family stability. One Nation believes that is that until a fair and just system is found for both parties, we will see the continual rise of domestic violence and suicide and murders associated with custody battles. The following principles will be adopted by One Nation to rectify unjust applications from the Family Law Court and Child Support Agency. One Nation supports mediation. The Family Law Court will be abolished and replaced with a family tribunal. The Family Tribunal will consist of people from mainstream Australia, respected members from local community groups encompassing health, social and community interest groups will be invited to participate. The functions and operation of the Child Support Agency will be reviewed and extensive community consultation will occur to develop appropriately gu appropriate guidelines for operations. The punitive maintenance regime will be overhauled as a matter of urgency. Key factors in this review include 1. A formula that recognises the new cost of maintaining two households. 2. A predetermined formula for non-custodial parents that in which additional incomes for overtime or a second job do not cause maintenance payments to increase. 3. Recognition that a child's standard of living following divorce cannot be maintained at its pre-divorce level. Four, a formula based on after-tax income, not before-tax income. Five, new families and their needs to be recognised in maintenance schedules. Six, a formula that recognises the number of children, their ages and individual requirements. Seven, property owned prior to the relationship will remain the possession of the individual. Settlements will be based on a 50-50 split between partners. And eight, recipients of the sole supporting parents' benefits will require counselling and verification of a family breakdown. When the youngest child reaches school age, the SSP will be required to obtain work based on job availability, opportunities and qualifications. Protected, uh, protected settlements or incidents involving violence or abuse will be dealt with in the respective courts. Both parties will be entitled to legal aid and the unsuccessful party will pay the costs. Perjury charges will be enforced in court. Joint custody is the option of choice for one nation. It gives recognition to the vital role both parents have in relationships with their children. Joint custody can provide some stability in an environment that is otherwise turbulent for children. Ideally, the same case managers will work with families from entry to exit. Denied access will be referred to the case manager for immediate investigation.
Three denied access visits will result in the non-custodial parent and custodial parent facing the tribunal to discuss shifting custodial arrangements. Family centres will be developed at these centres and will manage the family tribunals and associated support services, including counselling, lifestyle management, parenting plans, preparation with self-representation and advocacy support. The family tribunals will be able to conduct a country circuit. National forums will be organised throughout Australia to identify family needs and identify community solutions that will assist in strengthening and maintaining the family unit. Responses to the forum will be proactive and urgently address legislative inadequacies. Not a lot of that made sense, but we'll continue. Medical cannabis, here we go. Medical cannabis refers to the use of cannabis and its constituent cannabinoids, such as tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, and cannabidiol, sorry, CBD, as medical therapy to to treat disease or alleviate symptoms. Cannabis is one of the 50 fundamental herbs in traditional Chinese medicine. The ancient Egyptians used hemp, cannabis, in suppositories for relieving the pain of hemorrhoids. In ancient India, doctors used it for treating a variety of illnesses and ailments, including insomnia, headaches, gastrointestinal disorders, and pain, including during childbirth. The ancient Greeks and the medieval Islamic world also used it. Cannabis has been used to reduce nausea and vomiting in chemotherapy and people with HIV AIDS and to treat pain and muscle spasticity. A review said CBD is a major constituent of medical uh, CBD, a major constituent of medical cannabis, had shown potential to relieve convulsion, inflammation, cough, congestion, and nausea, and to inhibit cancer cell growth. The medical use of cannabis is legal in certain countries, including Austria, Canada, Czech Republic, Finland, Germany, Israel, Italy, the Netherlands, Portugal and Spain. One Nation believes a trial of cannabis is deemed to be a reasonable option for people who are suffering. After all, other treatments are in some cases not effective enough. A review has found no problems with tolerance, abuse or addiction to medical cannabis. Australians are suffering pain and dying because of inept governments failing to allow law-abiding citizens the right to medicine. Due to Australia's draconian laws on the use of medical cannabis, many are going to are going overseas to access the medicine. Would have thought it'd be cheaper just to buy it in the pub car park, but never mind. Australians found using it are facing criminal charges and prison sentences, as is the case of a man found giving it to his two-year-old daughter who has a stage four brain tumour. He has been denied access to his daughter and faces losing his job. Australian politicians should not stand in the way of Australians fighting to save their loved ones. One Nation upholds the right of Australians to access medical cannabis that may give them quality of life and life itself. The ice epidemic. One Nation believes that communities and governments must take a strong stance if we are ever to maintain control or stop this epidemic. Solutions for ice addicts. 
One Nation proposes a three strikes and you're out. If an ICE user is caught three times, they will be sent to a rehabilitation facility and kept there until their addiction is under control. Addicts must cover the costs of their treatment, either by having assets seized or, if on welfare, payments to be forfeited to the state. No debt will be wiped or worn by the taxpayer, even if the user is on welfare payments after release. Monies will be taken from their account until paid in full. If the users hold a job, it will be taken from their wages on the same basis as maintenance payments. Solutions for dealers, extremely harsh penalties will apply to anyone selling ice. Each gram of ice sold should equate to a mandatory year in prison. Their assets will be sold to offset the costs and will be recoverable even after time spent in prison. If foreign nationals are convicted of drug crimes, a treaty will be sought for jail time to be done in their own country. Too many foreign nationals commit crimes within Australia because the rewards are far greater and prison sentences are no deterrent. Ms Hanson and many of those candidates join us from Brisbane now. Good morning to you, Pauline. I think you've got about 14 or 15 of your staff members there behind you. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. First of all, onto those scenes last night. Those protesters, they vowed to follow your campaign throughout the course of it. They want to disrupt it whenever they can. Are you fussed about this and were you expecting it? Was I expecting it? No. Look, I thought they, they finished 20 years ago. Um, Peter, I have no understanding why they're doing that. I've got um, very sensible, you know, policies that will help this country get jobs moving, industries manufacturing, help the farming sector. I think, uh, I don't believe they really understand what we stand for. And I encourage, you know, all Australians, don't be led by this rebel that we saw last night. And all Australians are going to be receiving this uh, brochure, not all Australians but most part, many across the country, there's all the policies. Read them and understand what we stand for. If not, go to our website. There's nothing in it that's controversial. Well, those protesters are following you because they believe, and many others do as well, that you are a racist and a bigot. Are you? <laughs> I say, tell me, name one of my policies that is, is on racial grounds or you know, bigotry. Not at all. Um, I had people from different cultural backgrounds last night that attended the meeting and um, I was very proud to have them there. My party has got all different people in it from different cultural backgrounds and, you know, it's, it's their excuse to try and stop me and my candidates from winning seats and be on the floor of Parliament. We are all very proud, patriotic Australians that are standing up for our culture, our way of life. Well, they might be pointing to comments that you have said recently and also said in the past, bearing in mind it was 20 years ago, that you said Australia was in danger of being swamped by Asians. You recently suggested there should be a royal commission into Islam. How are those comments going to help? How are they going Peter, to dissuade Peter, that negative opinion? Don't go back Peter, don't raise this, and that's no excuse for saying protesters were there because it's something that I said 20 years ago in my maiden speech. That's absolute rubbish. You know, put that back there. What I have called for a royal commission into Islam is justified. 
You got swept out last time, Pauline. So I'm wondering, while you've been in the political wilderness, have you learnt any lessons and will you do anything different this time around? Have I learned any lessons? You've got to be kidding. You know, no. you've got to be kidding. OK? I'm not no, quite sure. Was it an hour? Yes. Has, 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 hold on a minute. Has the Liberal, Labor, Nationals or Greens learned anything? Start listening to grassroots Australians. I don't need to listen to anything, you know. I know what the people are thinking and how they're feeling. So let's get this country on track. Let's bring down the cost of living. Let's, you know, get the kids, get the kids jobs um, and pull it together as one. That's all I've, one nation. That's what I'm saying, one nation. Australia can look forward to the company of Senator Pauline Hanson for the next three years. But for now, that's all for this special episode of the 9pm Edict. You can find full program credits on the podcast webpage at stillgarian.com. You can also contribute to this podcast, with money that is, at stillgarian.com. Stillgarian will return with the next regular episode of the 9pm Edict in about two weeks' time. I'm Carol Duncan. Good night. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.